anybody with anybody who's uh, had kids knows when they're in the young phase, they keep you busy and they're a lot of fun. And all the parents said. <laughs> Speaking of kids, how many of us know that kids ask random questions? Sometimes they can ask you randomness like, do chipmunks chew bubblegum? Randomness, randomness, randomness. Uh, this past week, Rachel was watching a Christmas movie with our kids, and uh, it was, uh, I forgot the name of it, A Shining Star or something like that, uh, which just so happens to fit in what I'm talking about today. Um, but it's, it's a story of the, uh, the, the Christmas story, the nativity, following the perspective of, of the donkey. It's an animated kids movie. Uh, and I wasn't home when they were watching it, but uh, Rachel text, uh, family group text that we have going on, and um, the kids started asking questions. Like, Judah asked uh, Rachel, what was Jesus' middle name? We didn't have an answer for that. <clears throat> then Judah said, why did they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh? They should have brought pacifiers and diapers. And the entire time through the movie, Juliet was just concerned that they did not have a bed for baby Jesus. Kids ask questions. Kids are fun. The, inno- the innocence of a child. So in that, in that notion, in that mind, I'm going to ask you guys a random question this morning that I'm going to come back to later on in the message. Is that all right with you? All right. My question is, what do you have in common with a star? I'm going to leave it there. Back burner. Put it in the back burner. Christmas is just 15 days away, meaning if you have not gone out shopping yet, good luck, you better do that sooner than later, Uh, and Amazon can only work so far uh, in getting your things on time. Uh, There's a lot that comes with the Christmas season, some things that we enjoy, and then there's other things that we just have to deal with. Let me give you a couple of things that we have to deal with in the Christmas season. It starts getting dark at 2.30. In fact, it's almost noon right now, and it doesn't even look it outside. It's cold. How many of you don't like the cold? Few people. You're living in the wrong part of the world. Snow is coming whether you like it or not. Your car is not going to be as clean looking as you would like, to, like it to until right around April or May, probably May, living in Syracuse. And more layers means more laundry. More layers means more laundry. Here's some things that we enjoy about the Christmas season. Christmas decorations. I'm thankful that we have someone in our church and Pastor Mark who's able to just creatively, uh, uh, constantly change the set up here and making it fit the season and making it look nice in here. So thank you, Pastor Mark, for your hard work. Uh, Hot chocolate tastes so much better for some reason this time of year. I don't know what it is. Maybe they're just doing something different with uh, the hot chocolate, but man, it just tastes so much better. The fireplace lit while it's snowing outside is something that people enjoy. Snowball fights, if you still enjoy those. I still enjoy a good snowball fight. That's why I'm still a youth pastor. Uh, Last year, Judah caught me towards the end of the season with a good snowball that I haven't forgotten about, uh, where he called me, and as soon as I turned around, right in my face. I've been holding on to that. His time is coming. Ice skating is fun for those who can do it. And for those who like watching the same story over and over and over and over and over, Hallmark movies have begun. Enjoy. One thing is especially uh, true during the Christmas season. People are more open to hearing about Jesus. 
people are more open to hearing about Jesus. A few years ago, Lifeway, uh, Lifeway Research conducted a study to learn more about church attendance patterns during Christmas time. By the way, side note, I learned this past week that Christmas time is one word, and I don't know if I'm okay with that, um, but Christmas time is one word. That's just my distracted mind uh, allowing you to learn a fact that I learned. And if you knew that already, God bless. <laughs> Historically, pastors and church leaders know that Christmas time attracts more visitors than any other holiday in the year, any other season in the year. In a poll of 1,000 Americans from various parts of the country, Lifeway, Lifeway Research found that six out of ten Americans typically attend church at Christmas time. But among those who don't attend church at Christmas time, a majority, 57%, say they would likely attend if someone they knew invited them. Regular churchgoers may assume the rest of America has already made up their mind when it comes to not attending church, um, said Scott McDonald, who is the vice president of Lifeway Research, but he also said in reality, many welcome going to a Christmas service with someone that they know. So out of that 57% in that poll that was taken, here's what we discovered. For those uh, Americans living in the South, about 67, uh, 66% said they would attend church if invited by a friend, a loved one, somebody that they knew. In the Midwest, 64%. In the Northeast, that's us, 57%. And in the West, it's 53%. And throughout the U.S., more women uh, than men are likely to attend uh, Christmas church services. That's 66% versus 56%. Uh, those who attend church more, most frequently throughout the year, meaning once a week or more, are most likely to say that they will attend church at Christmas time, which is 90, 91%. And out of that 57% uh, who said that they would go if invited, here are some, uh, or rather the, the entire poll, here, here are the stats of why out of the 1,000 Americans, uh, why they would actually go to church. 77% of those uh, involved in the poll said they would go to honor Jesus, 9% to honor tradition, 9% to be with friends and family, 3% to get in the Christmas spirit, and 2% don't even know why. They'll just they'll go to church. So invite people to church. Why am I sharing these stats with you? Again, just like the random question I asked you in the moment, usually stoves have two, two back burners. Just put those in the back burner. I'll bring them forward in a minute. We're going to start today in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I figured, hey, we are in church. It is okay if I read a lot of Scripture. I'm going to be reading a lot of Scripture today. If you're okay with that, say amen. amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will, uh, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for, uh, for you... Uh, Persecuted, hold on, I, I just totally lost my place. Uh, persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There we go, got it. Uh, you are blessed when they insult, uh, insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. 
Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, verses 13 through 16 are really the verses that I wanted to get to today. But how many of us know that context is important? Amen? Context is crucial. Uh, And so that's why I read those verses. Verse 13, here we go. Let's lean in. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand so that it gives light to all those who are in the house. And verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus is talking to his followers here, and and what we know today, this portion of Scripture, is the beginnings of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This this section, verses 1 through through 12, are known as the Beatitudes. Uh, This message he preaches to his followers is vital even for the church to adhere to today until the day that he returns, whenever that day will be. But that day is indeed coming. To demonstrate the impact that these people, meaning his followers, would, ha- would make in their world, Jesus used two common illustrations in that time, which was salt and light in verses uh, 13 through 16. So the first thing that he says is, you will be the salt of the earth. Jesus' followers, like, uh, like salt, would, would be like salt, rather, in the way that they would create a thirst for a greater information. How many of you have ever eaten a meal that was too salty? What did you need after? Water. You were thirsty. And not, not just a little glass of water. Depending on how salty the meal was, you needed like, you needed one of those big plastic cups. You know, everybody's got the nice, you know, the nice glass cups that they bring out. And any, anybody who knows me, if I go over to your house and you get me water, get me one of those plastic cups I know you got in the cupboard. A lot of water. I like a lot of water. And so sometimes, sometimes when you uh, eat something that's too salty, you just get so thirsty. And, and he's telling his followers to be the salt of the earth, meaning creating this thirst within their hearers for, uh, for greater uh, information, or rather a spiritual thirst for greater information specifically of Jesus, of the gospel of Jesus. When, one, when somebody sees a unique person who possesses superior qualities in a specific area, they desire to discover why that person is different, right? You know, when, when, when uh, youth see an athlete performing so well, why are they so different? And then you kind of lean in and do some research and you discover what their training regimen is like. You discover what their diet is like, what their habits are like, so that they can excel and be as great as they are. It is also possible that salt means that these people serve as a preservative against all kinds of evil in society. Whichever view uh, one takes on this passage, the important thing to note is that salt ought to maintain its basic character. If it fails to do exactly what it intends to do and be salty, it has lost its purpose for existence and should be discarded. And then Jesus moves on to light. A light is meant to shine and give direction. Pretty, pretty basic stuff right there, right? 
individuals Jesus described in verses 3 through 10 would obviously radiate and point others to the proper path. Their influence would be evident, like a city on a hill or a lamp on its stand. A concealed lamp placed under a bowl would be useless. So light light radiating people live so that others see their good deeds and give praise not to them, but to our Father in heaven. In what we consider to be the Christmas story, we hear of an account where a star pointed people to the one who was born to die on the cross, take upon himself the sins of the world, and be the final sin offering the world would ever need. I told you we were going to be scripture heavy, so turn back a few chapters. Matthew chapter 2. Here we go. After uh, Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this was, uh, this was what was written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked, uh, asked them the exact, what time the exact star uh, appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until they, it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Uh, Then they opened their treasures and presented uh, him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So I'm sorry, Judah, they did not give pacifiers and diapers, uh, but gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, now that I've said all that, if you haven't started to do it already, I'm going to start doing this and start weaving things back together. So the things that I said to put on the back burner, let's bring them forward now. What do you have in common with a star? More specifically, what do you have in common with the star that we read about in Matthew chapter 2? One word, purpose. Purpose. The purpose for the star in Matthew chapter 2 was to be a visual herald that the Messiah, the one whom Israel had been waiting for uh, since prophesied over seven centuries prior, had at last been born into this world exactly the way that the prophets foretold he would be born. The star pointed people, in other words, to Jesus. The star pointed people to Jesus. And, and you, can, you can read the Bible, and it's not that in the book of Isaiah, that's the first time that we see inklings of a Messiah being, the, being a part of the plan of God. But even in Genesis chapter 3, you can see Jesus in Genesis when, when God was cursing uh, the serpent and God was cursing woman. And, and while cursing the serpent, uh, God just says this one line in there that it's the first inklings of hope that we have since the fall. And it was directly after the fall. 
saying that uh, the, the serpent's offspring and the woman's off, offspring would just be in constant conflict and that he would crush uh, the head of the serpent, but the serpent would bite the heel. Who's the father talking about there? Jesus. So even from the beginning, immediately after the fall, Jesus was always the plan. As for you and me, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, again it says, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The thing that we have in common with the star in Matthew chapter 2 is purpose. Purpose. Can I urge you today, church, to not allow the light that is within you to be snuffed out? There are people in your life that you will come across that Pastor Doug, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Julie, Pastor Jacob, and myself will never come into contact with. And if we are not shining the way that God intends us to be shining, we will miss out on opportunities for someone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior to see Jesus in you. See, we ourselves are not the light. Jesus is. We ourselves are not the light. Jesus is. Well, Pastor Pablo, how can I shine brightly? Thank you for asking. Live your life being poor in spirit. If you're in a season of mourning, know that comfort is promised to you. Walk humbly in this world that is so full of pride. Be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. The Bible promises that you will be filled. Be merciful. Be merciful. Mercy stands out in this day and age. Be pure of heart. Be a peacemaker. That one's hard. Being a peacemaker requires a lot of intentionality. Being, being a peacemaker requires you to swallow all of your pride and not say in an argument the thing that you know would hurt most, but would not be fruitful for a relationship, for a reconciliation, or anything moving forward. Being a peacemaker says, I care more about this person's heart than I do me getting the last word. Be a peacemaker. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. He goes on to say, Blessed are you because of persecution due to righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. In other words, live out the word of God. Strive to live out the word of God. We're given clear instructions in Scripture on how a man or woman of God ought to live, ought to interact with their family, their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, this world that we live in. If we want to shine brightly, we read Scripture and say, because Scripture says, so may I be. Because Scripture says, so may I strive to be. What is it that causes our light to be snuffed out? We can say a lot of things. We can say it's because of hurt. How many of you have ever experienced hurt in your life? Maybe we can say it's because of distractions. You know, some people say, oh, it's because of idols, and it's very true. Idols are very sneaky, especially in this day and age, the way they creep up in our hearts and take away attention that belongs to God away from him. But I think that if you were to think of, uh, I believe that if you were to take all of the possible excuse, uh, excuses as to why a light has gone dimmed, it boils down to one thing. Losing connection with the one who is the source of that light. 
John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the, uh, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that had been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Some translations say the darkness cannot understand it. Uh, some translations say the darkness cannot overcome it. The, 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 the simple factor is the relationship between light and dark. If you're standing in a dark room and you flip the light on, what happens? It's light. Darkness can't object. Darkness cannot talk back. When the light comes on, the light does exactly what it was intended to do in shining brightly, traveling at, I think light travels at 285,000 miles a second, filling every corner of that space. Lack of connection with Jesus is a spiritual death sentence. I know people in my life who have said something like, I feel far away right now. Maddie, if you could come up. I know people in my life who have said something like, I feel like I'm just not as close to God as I used to be. Or, you know what? It's been a while since I've felt God's presence. The question that I have to ask when it, when it comes to that is, if you feel far away, God hasn't changed. What has changed in your life that has caused you to go adrift a little? What has, what has happened in your life to cause you to not pick up your word every day, to not be as devoted to following him, not having that disciplined time with Jesus on the regular in your life? Because how many of us know that God, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He, he never changes. That's the amazing thing about our God, is that he has a firm foundation. He has a firm foundation. He's a solid rock. He's unshakable, immovable, and if you build your life on him... You're built on a foundation that will last in eternity. But how many of us also know that you can have the foundation, but the house has to be built right? You could, you could have the firmest foundation in all creation, but if the house ain't built right, it's not the foundation's fault. So how do we shine brightly in this day and age? John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, how can we shine brightly? How can we bear fruit that, that is an outward evidence to the world that we are followers of Jesus, that we are disciples of the one whom we call Lord and Savior? How do we build our house right on that firm foundation? You spend time in prayer. I don't know if you were looking for a deeper answer than that, but man, sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things for us to maintain over a long period of time. That's why it's a discipline. We spend time in prayer both publicly, uh, corporately rather, together as, as the body of Christ, but then also privately. 
We spend time in the word, reading the word, knowing what the word says so that uh, we know exactly how we ought to live our lives in this world. We know exactly how to respond to some questions that are thrown our way. And we know how to speak truth over our lives, our families, and situations. Be in the word. Spend time in private and corporate worship. Just like we did this morning, we spent time worshiping together and just like we will tonight from six to seven. But also, do it at home. Do it on a walk by yourself. You don't even need music. Worship the Lord. Be fed spiritually. And here's an important one. Be in community with other believers. Be in community with other believers. We were not designed to do life alone. That's why we're a part of the body of Christ. I, I've, th- this, was, this has been a trend for quite some time now with many in my generation that uh, has, has just broken my heart that I have people whom I love dearly who are no longer serving Jesus today, whom once were and were on fire for him. But they started saying things like, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of this. And I'm like, I don't know where you got it in your mind that the church is going to be full of perfect people because the church is full of imperfect people who are in constant need of Jesus. I am in constant need of Jesus moment by moment, second by second, hour by hour. Anytime I'm faced with a temptation before me, I'm in need of a Savior to be my source of strength. I'm in need of a Lord to be my direction and tell me what to do. I'm in need of Jesus to be my stability. The church is full of broken people who have all been saved by Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, get yourself together and then come to me. He says, come to me as you are. So be in community with other believers. And as you do that, the be attitudes become fruit observable in your life as a result of being connected to Jesus and the continual work of the, of the Holy Spirit in your life. Light shines out of you as a direct result of being connected to the one who not only gives the light, but he himself is the source of light and he is currently within us. Our bodies are a temple in which his spirit dwells. And that light is attractive to those who have been walking in darkness for far too long. What is the result of being connected to Jesus and shining brightly in our world? Again, It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. My full story is not that I was just saved so that I could be in heaven with Jesus forever. My story is I was saved, and yes, that's part of it. But the second part is so that I can be an obedient follower of Jesus to live according to his will and with my desire to go to heaven I also have a desire and a burden in my heart to take as many people as I can with me I mentioned all those statistics at the beginning of service people are searching I have takeaway points for people who like points I'm sorry I don't do them in the middle it's just the way my brain works it's weird I'm sorry it's at the end tis the season people are searching 53% or 57, one of those numbers. I could scroll back, but I don't want to lose my place. 57, thank you. Thank you, Elam. 57% of Northeasterners who do not 
go to church would go to church if invited by somebody. So can I prayerfully ask you, who are you planning to invite to a Christmas Eve service? And the amazing thing about this is that you don't need to wait till Christmas Eve. Who are you inviting to worship tonight? Who are you inviting to church this coming week or small group this coming week or church you know, next Sunday or whatever it be? Who are you planning on inviting? Because statistics show, but more important than stats, the Bible says that if you're shining brightly, you do so so that people can see your good works and give glory not to you, not to me, but to our Father who is in heaven. Second takeaway point, you were created to shine brightly. Do what you were designed to do. God created you for himself to be with him forever. Sin got in the way of that. So what do we do? We give our hearts to Jesus. We live for Jesus. And when that day comes where he returns or calls us to be home, praise God. But until then, we shine brightly. And it's important, point number three, for us to continue to shine brightly. Remaining connected to Jesus keeps us shining for his glory and his glory alone. My prayer, I mean, I I tell you when I say this and I pray this and uh, I'm in prayer about this, I I can almost envision us having all sorts of chairs needing to be put in this sanctuary on Christmas Eve because we've we've, we've invited so many people to come to church who have just said, I'll go with you. I imagine all the white chairs, if you've ever been in our cafe, we have white chairs in there. I imagine all those chairs in different parts of the sanctuary. I imagine even some of the metal chairs that we have in the, in the shed needing to be put in this sanctuary because so many people who are searching for the answer say, you know what, I'm going to go to church with you and will give their hearts to Jesus as a, as a direct result of you saying, will you come to church with me? Even go a step further, say, I'll pick you up chances are they're not going to say no to a pickup maybe it's like all right i'll pick you up hey i'm buying coffee too let's go to church together see what happens see what god can do don't discount anyone you never know you never know our god is a wonder-working god who works in mysterious ways my challenge is let's pray yes first we pray and then invite others to come meet Jesus, maybe even for the first time in their life. Amen.